Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news, but I need your help. I was nominated for a Webby Award, which for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for more than two years might remember I was nominated for two years ago and tried desperately to win the People's Choice Award then, which I didn't. Um, But at that time, I was like going to the guy at Joe and the Juice behind the counter asking him to vote for me and anyone I could. So now I'm coming to all of you to ask you to please vote for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to win the People's Choice Webby Award for Best Live Podcast. If you go to vote.webbyawards.com, again, that's vote.webby, W-E-B-B-Y, webbyawards.com, and then go to the little magnifying glass search thing on the upper right. All you have to type in is search my name or entry and just type in moms and it will come up. And then you can click on the best live podcast recording nominee and vote for me. Also, by the way, I won honoree for best influencer, which is crazy. Anyway, thank you for voting. I really, really would appreciate it. I would love to win the People's Voice Award, especially after trying so hard and failing two years ago. So if you could just take a few minutes and vote, I would be so grateful. You could email me after if you want at info at zibbyowens.com. And I will say thank you to you via email myself because I'm so grateful. So email me if you've done it, um, post about it. Um, I'm just, I would be so grateful. Thank you. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. I loved talking to Emma Gannon about her book, Olive. Emma is first and foremost a writer. She began life as a social media editor at Condé Nast before going freelance and writing for The Guardian and Elle and being a columnist for The Telegraph and The Sunday Times. She's the author of Sabotage, How to Get Out of Your Own Way, and The Multi-Hyphen Life, Work Less, Create More, and Design a Life That Works for You. Her Webby-nominated podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, is a non-traditional careers podcast founded in 2016 and gives an insight into people who have looked at their interests to shape the world they do. By the way, when it says her Webby-nominated podcast, as you're listening to this, my podcast is nominated for a Webby Award. So if you wouldn't mind going to the Webby Award website and voting for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, that would be amazing. Thank you for doing that. Anyway, 
onto her bio again. Her podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, has had nearly 8 million downloads with guests including Elizabeth Gilbert, Ava DuVernay, Glennon Doyle, and Jillian Anderson. Both people and brands, such as Google Pixel, Amnesty, Princess Trust, and Sainsbury's, look to Emma as a curator of people and ideas. Her various platforms have become a window into her multi-hyphenate lifestyle. She also writes a weekly newsletter called The Hyphen that explores ideas that have got her thinking in new ways, and a book club, The Hyphen Book Club. Emma has 52,000 followers on Instagram and 52,000 followers on Twitter. She has been included on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in media, and we had the best time talking. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Olive and all the great stuff that you do. Thank you so much. I love your podcast. I listen to it religiously. So very happy to be here. Yay. I love your podcast. I was just listening to the one about you being a recovering people pleaser. And I was like, how do you become a recovering people pleaser? So what? <laughs> why don't we start there? What is your secret? Because I feel like I have not recovered from that affliction as yet. I think I said recovering because I feel myself slipping back into my old ways very easily. So I'm not quite over the line. And, but it's good. It's like an out of body experience now. Cause once you read all the self-help books, you can kind of call yourself out a bit more. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. It's hard, <laughs> but people pleasing is a thing. Like I, my tendency is to say, yes, I just, I read something. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. And then I think, oh God, you, that's cutting into all your writing time and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you had, you had, you were recommending a book on your podcast. I think it was called like people please, or please know, or something. What was it called? Please know. Anyway. Oh, it's called please yourself, which please I yourself. really like. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's quite empowering actually to be like, do you know what? I'm going to go in the garden and eat some ice cream and not talk to anyone and please myself. <laughs> wow. Well, I wouldn't mind talking to someone, but if they could be in the garden with some coffee or something. I, that would be a please myself moment. Well, anyway, your podcast, Control Alt Delete, is so hugely successful. And I was almost surprised it was billed as a business podcast because I feel like it's so much about life. I mean, I, I guess you have to put it in one category. And obviously, business ties into everything. Tell me, I want to go back to your book, but now I'm so excited about your podcast. Tell me about how you mar like how you framed it and how I know you've had like 8 million downloads, something crazy. So tell me a little more about the podcast. Yeah, that's a really good point because I wouldn't say it's businessy, but it's in the careers section, which I kind of feel like automatically falls into the iTunes or Apple podcast business bit. But yeah, it's really interesting because I started it five years ago and a lot has happened in five years in terms of the media landscape. And I feel like the podcast has evolved with me, which is really nice because it feels like my little home. And as a fellow podcaster, you'll understand that it's such an intimate, lovely space. I've never been into YouTube. I've never been into like presenting or video stuff. I just love that it's my voice and it's my thoughts and it's just you know, accompanying someone on a walk somewhere or in the bath. And it started off as careers, like social media careers, basically digital careers, new unconventional paths that we're taking. And it slowly but surely turned into a mental health podcast because I'm realizing that we're all just losing our minds basically <laughs> at work. <laughs> and even, you know, in a creative, in the creative space, like creativity comes with its own challenges. We're so hard on ourselves that we beat ourselves up all the time. So it's kind of morphed into this careersy, well-being, creative podcast. 
Well, it's super cool. And yeah, it's just amazing. And this is your first novel. You obviously, you have written two other books, Sabotage and The Multi-Hyphen Life, which I feel like describes everyone I currently work with or am or exist today. You're like always just a little bit ahead of the curve, I feel like, with what your topics are. Take me through writing those two books and how we have arrived here at Olive. Thank you. Yeah, there's something to be said for being too early with certain things <laughs> and then someone comes along and writes the same book and I'm like hello <laughs> but it's fine yeah with the multi-hyphen life I feel like that has actually taken on a new life of its own during this strange COVID time we're in because I believe that we can't all be famous musicians and artists and like it's hard it's hard to live that happily ever after kind of career dream career and it's not even like that for me and I make my living through writing books like it's ups and downs and you have imposter syndrome because maybe one month is good the next isn't and I feel like we're just all trying to make it work as best we can and we're all just trying to make our days slightly better it's not about always being in the Sunday Times bestseller list but just how do we feel successful on a daily basis so that book I still love and am proud of. And then with Sabotage, I felt like the multi-hyphen life was about the tools we need to succeed or, or make our lives better. But then I didn't really talk about our brains and our mental health in that book. It was more about Skillshare and YouTube and podcasts and how do we build our brand using internet tools? Like it was very logistical. And with Sabotage, it was, okay, if you've got all the tools under the sun but you still can't get started with your creative project. It's probably not that you don't have, you know, the time or money or resource. It's probably that you're getting on your own way in some other way. So those books kind of go together. And then, yeah, the pivot <laughs> came into fiction. So I felt like I wrote The Multi-Hyphen Life so that no one would pigeonhole me. I was like, if I write a book about being a multi-hyphenate, <laughs> surely no one will you know, make me into this like one thing. Like that book was about being multiple things. But what was interesting is I kind of did become pigeonholed as the side hustle woman. You, can, you just cannot win. You cannot <laughs> win. It's like impossible. And anyway, keep going. Yes. But I feel like, I don't know if it's um more of a gendered thing. Like women need to be just one thing because we're not. Like, I don't know one woman who is just one singular thing in their life like they'll one minute be a parent and then they'll be doing something else on the side and then something else and something else and we're so multifaceted and so are men but I feel like men aren't questioned as much in this space like they just get to go and do what they want and experiment whereas if you're a woman experimenting with lots of different things people are like confused by you so yeah I basically was like I'm going to do fiction now and people were surprised. I don't know why you're allowed to try new things, <laughs> but they were. I interviewed an author recently who switched genres and she spent like a lot of time talking about the fact that this big deal that she had switched genres. And I'm like, I know that this all feels like a big deal to you, but like as a reader and as, nobody else is keeping as close tabs, you know how we feel like you know, when like you're at a seventh grade dance and you think like everyone is staring at like you and your sweater that your mom made you wear. I don't know. Okay. Maybe that was me anyway, but you know, you're allowed to try whatever you want. Like if you're creative and you love to write, like switch genres, try fiction, nonfiction, like great. 
I, I don't know. Like who else is going to do it? Like we need a new person to be now a debut novelist. You can't be the same amazing writer. And anyway, I don't know. This is just, I'll get off the, my soapbox. But. No, I, I completely agree. I feel like my whole thing is try whatever you want. And also at any age, there is no cap to reinventing ourselves and rebranding ourselves. Like it's all, it's all exciting. You can try new things. I completely agree. So you started fiction. Had you ever wanted to do fiction before? Or was this a new thing that you're like, I fancy a triad fiction. And (laughs) how did it come about? It was a whole thing in terms of, I think that when we really, truly want something deep down, it's quite terrifying and we don't tell anyone and we don't really admit it. And for me, that was fiction. And I kind of palmed it off as like something that maybe I do one day, but truly deep down, I was too scared to try it. It was so terrifying to me. And my friends and family were so lovely about the fact that I think they knew that I wanted to do it and they keep buying me presents. Like uh, my mum, like five years ago, bought me this novel writing workshop class, like online thing. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Like people around me are noticing that I keep saying I want to try it, but I really was terrified and I put it off for years. So what happened was when my nonfiction career was kind of tootling along and things were fine. And, you know, I had a bit of spare time through the kind of success of that side of things. I took myself off and just started doing it in secret. I just, it was a really scary thing. I felt so exposed. And also I know all authors will say this, but when your book goes out on submission and you're basically waiting for the entire publishing industry to either laugh in your face or say, okay, this is good enough. I literally lay on the sofa for like a week under a blanket. I was just, uh, I felt like my whole, my skin had been peeled off. Like I felt awful. So thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there were so many things that I loved about Olive, but the one thing that has stayed with me to your point about trying new things in writing is the one quote where, wait, hold on, I have to find it, about how many tweets you can have and that if you write enough tweets, they would actually be converted into books, that there's this (laughs) new app. Wait, I can't even find the correct quote. Well, anyway, just to summarize that Olive realized through her friend that if you counted up the word count of all the tweets you've done, you could convert it in an app to how many books you could have written. And she could have written like, I don't know, 15 books. And one of the guys could have written two books. And did is that an actual app? No, that isn't. I mean, it might be, but you I always- start that app. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it might exist. I don't know. But I thought it would be quite an interesting, really simple tool, actually. If you just type in how many characters you've literally written, yep. it could work out how many. And I did think that when I looked at my Twitter page one day and I've been on there for about 12 years or something ridiculous. And I looked at how many tweets I'd sent and it was like thousands. And I thought that it, that is books. (laughs) We've all written books, but I always thought that about my blog because my first book deal came from a blog and essentially I basically turned the blog into a book. So it's all words and it all can end up hopefully somewhere. (laughs) I tried at one point, I was doing so many like little mini essays type things on Instagram, particularly over the summer and during the pandemic. And I was like, I'm going to lose all these. I should like copy and paste them into at least one document to to save it, like for my own sanity to see what that was like back then. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 20,000 words of Instagram posts. Like it's, I'm almost up to a book just on Instagram alone in like a couple months. So yeah, it's amazing how we're afraid to do like big projects alone. And yet you can like put little things out with like no hesitation. And it's totally it's so fine. weird. Isn't it's it? So weird. And, We're also weird. And, yeah. 
and and hearing about other people's process I love hearing that I remember Jessie Burton once saying she wrote the miniaturist about how she used to email herself things and the same with Christy Tate who wrote group and also with Abigail Dean who you've also interviewed with girl a she said she used to just kind of write random little bits and I find that so relaxing like that thought is so comforting to me because I think we just think about novelists writing into a word document and it all being perfect but it's not okay we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the life 360 app which i am obsessed with i first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use so i got it and now i am obsessed it's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you and it's much more than sharing location it is about safety it keeps families connected and protected throughout the day Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Yeah, so that's good. (laughs) And then the one other fact and figure that I took from your book, and then we can talk about the plot and everything else that's important. But Jacob says at one point, Olive's ex-boyfriend, did you know six minutes of reading can help reduce stress levels by up to 60%? That's 68% better than listening to music, 100% better than drinking tea, and 300% better than going for a walk. And she says, did not know that. (laughs) Are those actual facts or did you also- Those actually are. They are. Okay, yeah. yeah. Because I I don't know if you have noticed, but during some really stressful weeks and and very anxious months, I have found if I'm reading, I feel my whole body change. It's just a physical reaction reading. Some people just think it's like conjuring up thoughts in your head, but it, it has a physical reaction and I just feel, oh, so good after reading. And also because it's like we're not scrolling and, and scrolling makes you so tetchy. And I think just the act of sitting and not moving for a while is very good. I think you still get that even if you're moving and there's an audiobook or something. Like I think it's the getting into the story and all of a sudden out of yourself that is a complete reset. And I think, yeah, five minutes, six minutes, like it doesn't take long to jump into anyone else's head. Do you know what I mean? Like as long as you're in there for a minute wading through their muck or their ideas or stories or whatever, how can you not just like come back then into your your life? I don't know. It's like this bizarre time travel or like, you know, freaky Friday type thing that we do all the time with books. But anyway, yeah. it's like the whole premise of your podcast. I'm guessing. I know, it's I like know. life is hectic <laughs> and you have a lot of people relying on you and yet you can still escape. 
Yeah, you need to escape sometimes faster in a book than in a bath, right? I mean, I think so. Okay, so Olive, the main issue Olive is having is whether or not to have kids or not not even really whether or not, but she kind of doesn't want kids and is that okay in society and should she change her mind? And you do it so interestingly with like lists and texts and quotes and it's sort of like a multi format approach to the inside of someone's mind trying to wrestle with this really important big question, especially as her friends all go off and have kids or do IVF or do all these things. And you have this one moment in the bathroom where the two girls are doing their pregnancy tests side by side in different stalls and like have the same result, but very different emotions related to that result. Tell me about centering this book around that question. I love that you picked out those little scenes because it was so fun to write. And I I wanted to talk about this theme and it's a big theme and it's meaty and it's emotional. So I wanted to do it with a bit of lightness and a bit of humor because it's a very heavy thing for a lot of women. And I, and I guess I need to make the distinction that I really wanted to write about a character who was child-free by choice, who very much was leading the narrative of her own story. Whereas I know a lot of women who have desperately wanted that and it hasn't worked out. So I think that, yeah, there's like a nuance to that discussion, but With Olive, she knows she doesn't want children. She's definitely one of those people that just thinks it's like a 70% no. So therefore, I should probably not (laughs) because it's a big old decision and life commitment. But I think her problem is that we start the book with her ending a relationship with someone she's been with for nearly 10 years who does want to have kids. And they hadn't really discussed it before then because they were in their 20s. They never really spoke about it. I think Olive was brushing it under the carpet. And suddenly she's in her thirties and and she's got her partner saying, right, let's do it. So I think even though she knows she doesn't want them, I think she's just questioning herself because she's thrown away. Well, not thrown away, but she's said goodbye to a massive chunk of her life. And I think most people do doubt their decisions. I think we all, it's such a human thing to just be like, have I done the right thing here? So the book is basically her going on this journey of convincing herself that she's made the right decision ultimately. I mean, the thing about that decision versus other decisions that are more private, right? Like, should I go here for the weekend or should I do there? You know, should I take my kid here? I don't know, whatever. A decision like this, I feel like society, as you point out in your book, by the onslaught of comments, right? You know, when is the time or what do you mean? Or are you guys trying? You know, all these societal inputs that that you get when you're a woman of a certain age and you're in a relationship or, or not or whatever. But Without women having kids, essentially, like, I I feel like there's this evolutionary thing, like hardwired into people, because if we didn't all encourage each other to have kids, our whole, you know, we would all extinguish ourselves as like a species. So I feel like some of it is, it's like this deep rooted thing that I don't know if people are even conscious that they're doing, but it's like, everybody's got to get on this train. Like we've all got to get on the train, even though it's hurts and it's hard and whatever, because like without us, then who? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Heavy. that's heavy for each individual woman to have to carry. It's true. And what was interesting is when I interviewed the real women to kind of inspire the book, because I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to be just me and my opinions of, you know, Olive is like an amalgamation of a bit of me, but a bit of all these women I spoke to who are child free. And a lot of the women were concerned about like the planet and overpopulation. And I was like, oh my God, that's so interesting because I don't know if I want children, but I did. I definitely didn't factor in that. <laughs> like maybe, maybe, 
I don't know, maybe that is a big, big thing. But like I, for me, it's just, oh, I don't think it fits into my lifestyle. But for some people, they're like, oh, you know, we're overpopulated and I don't want to add to that. And I was like, this is such an interesting topic because every woman, every woman has so many different reasons. And we don't, I don't think we talk about it very much. It's so true. When I was reading Olive's list, she does a pros and cons list for having kids at one point and all the cons of like what her life could be like without kids. I was reading, I was like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> like, you know, She's like, I can go, you know, I can go for tea. I can see my friends or I could do this. And I was like, yeah, that is true, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. She makes a good case for the cons. <laughs> but I think that's the interesting thing is like all the women are kind of triggered and jealous of each other at different times, or at least Yep. Maybe jealous is too strong a word, but I think sometimes Olive does look at her friends and thinks, oh, having a kid looks really lovely. Like she'll see tender moments between her friend and the baby and think that's the meaning of life. That is love. That is what we should all want. And yet Olive doesn't, but she still longs for that sort of part of her life. And it's not just black and white. It's not, oh, I don't want that. So I'll never long for it. And then her friends with kids sometimes look at Olive and think, oh God, she's like so lucky. (laughs) And so they kind of like no one life almost has it all, I suppose. I also, the character Dorothy, is that the elderly next door neighbor? Is that her name, Dorothy? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I thought when you introduced Dorothy as this single elderly lady living next door who every so often sort of totters over and and says hello and everything. At first I thought, okay, she's using this to show like what a woman who doesn't have kids but gets older or like, is this some sort of commentary? And then the way you kind of wrapped it all up at the end sort of threw that on its head, like- you can have a legacy. It does not have to be through kids. Like you can have a zillion friends and make a huge impact and kids are just one way. So I was just so interested in sort of seeing how that relationship developed throughout the book and what you were, what your messaging was or what your, what her role was in your thought process in writing and putting her into the story. Yes. I tried not to be too obvious with like planting people in just to, (laughs) just to say like set an agenda and then leave. But I feel like Dorothy was that person. (laughs) She basically, I think what was interesting is when I turned 30, I got a lot of people asking me if I wanted to have children. And I was always sort of like, oh, I'm not sure. And a lot of people would say to me, and I was always baffled by this, but they would say, oh, you know, if I said I didn't, like, because I changed my mind with what I say. Sometimes I say maybe and sometimes I say no. And people were like, oh, but you'll, aren't you worried you'll be lonely when you're older? And that is a really valid thing to say, but I, I'd never really thought of that. And so I really wanted to show with Dorothy that she's this older woman. She lives on her own. Her husband's died. She's quite happy, but she does have kids. She does have a kid, but he moved away years ago and lives in Australia and they never really talk. And I just wanted to show that having a kid doesn't mean you have this like best friend for life. And some people don't get on with their kids. Sometimes it's really difficult. Sometimes people move away. And so I think Dorothy was an important character for Olive to see that actually there is no one size fits all and life just takes on its own different path for each of us, I think. Wouldn't it be so neat if there was a way to sort of fast forward and see what it would be like? So you could you could say like, well, I was going to have a child, but this particular, you know, but I went to blah, 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 and I could see forward and he was going to be horrendous and abusive, or he was going to be like, you know, a terrorist or he was anyway. So I've decided I'm not going to have him. Everybody would be like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> oh my god imagine I mean I, I know you interviewed Ashley Audrain recently yes, yes, the author yes, of yes. The Push and I love The Push because I think that really taps into a primal fear of I, I want to have a kid but like is it going to be nice because <laughs> I kind of want to know in advance but it's it's funny because like the Instagram mum thing I feel like has fed us this formula of like you're going to have a cute kid and then you're going to dress it in some dungarees and then it's going to be really well behaved and then life is going to be great and I just think god that's kind of a scary marketing thing like there's lots of ways that isn't going to go just kind of one two three step program you know that's not even how that person's life is I mean that's that picture of that second and then that kid is going to like go to the bat. I mean, it's, you know, that's such a fleeting moment and it's not the whole picture. Well, it's too bad. See, if I were a novelist, which I'm not, but like, I would be like, Ooh, I should write a novel about, you know, this machine where you could fast forward. <laughs> you could like, And how would that change society? If you, would you then not have the, ch- anyway, whatever. I, anyway. Oh my God. I'm into that. I'm into right? that. I read that. <laughs> would be very cool. All right. Well, any novelists, feel free to steal my idea. So what did, what was your process like when you were writing this book? Where did you write it? Like what was the, how long did it take once you finally got going and would you do another novel? So the process was when I look back, I don't know if I've got rose tinted glasses on because it was hard, but the way I see it is that it kind of was one of those ideas that just came out and I didn't do a lot of planning. I just in my head kind of knew what I was trying to do and then just went for it because I'd never done this before. I'm not trained. I haven't done like an MA. I'm very much, I look at people who have done all these degrees and I'm like, oh my God, that's not me, but that doesn't mean I can't give it a go, but I don't know what I'm doing. So it was very much just kind of navigating through that, that sort of darkness of not knowing. And I guess when I sold it to HarperCollins, they, they loved it, but they kind of, we had to do then more work on it. And I was so happy to work with a fantastic editor. So yeah, I just, I feel like it's important to say that because you don't do this first draft that's shiny and done and then it goes and gets printed. Like there was a lot of drafts, a lot of drafts, but I loved the fact that I could do it in private and no one was watching me. No one knew I was doing it. This wasn't a like me putting on Instagram, like my laptop saying, write, I'm writing today. Like there was none of that. It was like, (laughs) I don't want anyone to know. And I'm writing a second one at the moment because it was part of a two book deal. And, and I've got to say, I found, I found it really hard because it's a psychological thing because I have people waiting for me to produce something. I'm bit blocked. So I need to kind of find out, find a way to make myself feel free again. Cause I do, I do think, and I'm not like like a big time author like people who are really well known must have this so much because people are sort of tapping their watch saying come on then where's your next one yeah and from big deal authors that I've interviewed they're just as scared not all but many admit to being like just as scared that like this time like the secret sauce of their creativity is like not gonna it's not gonna come out right yeah like like nobody ever feels not nobody many people don't feel like, oh, I've got this nailed. Like, even if they've written so many books, like, of course I'm blanking on which exact authors, but like, it doesn't go away. It's like every time a good book comes out, it's like, oh, phew. <laughs> I completely relate to that because I do think, and I'm I'm not trying to be woo-woo, but I do think there is this like magical sort of dust that has to be sprinkled onto it. And you kind of have to have that inspiration wherever it comes from. And during last year in the pandemic, I hardly wrote... I just felt really flat. I just didn't feel like I had this like mojo of me being out in the world and feeling energetic. I just, 
it had disappeared. And so that is scary. And thank God it's coming back. But if you lose that kind of zest or whatever it's called, you're not going to write the book you want to write, I suppose. Speaking of magical dust, I said this to my <laughs> son yesterday morning. I was so tired. I could barely get out of bed. And I was like, I need to, he was like, get up, get up. And I was like, Ugh, I need some like magical fairy dust. That's like magical wake up dust. Could you sprinkle some on me? And he just looked at me and he goes, you have a thousand books to read. Get up. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you're right. I do. Okay. I'm getting up. Oh, I love anyway. that. Yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you have to aspiring authors? My advice would be to spend some time by yourself, go and reflect. If you can, it can even be a walk by a river or going and sitting in the garden. But I think really tune into what you want to write about. I think we're in this world and we've always been with writing that there is an industry with a capital I who is trying to market things and spin things and sell things. And I do think you have to write the book you want to write. And as much as someone's trying to push you in a certain direction or thinking that you'll be more commercial if you do this, I think you, yeah, you do have to have that magic dust, whatever it is to be proud of the book you're going to write. So have conviction in yourself, I think, if you can, to believe that you've got something to say. Love it. Yeah. Amazing. And also find a way to trick yourself to doing it and pretending that no one's going to read it. <laughs> yes. And also, and, and I'm guilty of this because I'm sort of being impatient. I'm very impatient as a person, but it will take time, especially with novels. It's kind of a little bit every day. So try not to be too hard on yourself because you're not going to wake up and write 10,000 words. That's just not how it happens. Some people might, if you're listening, I'm jealous of you, but most people write a couple hundred words a day and then over six months you have something. So yeah, just little steps. This, I'm sure not that you actually need help, but I'm trying to write something too. And I'm getting in my head so much about it. And so I put in like big letters now, like this is not the draft I'm going to show anyone. So I write that at the top and then I find like, I can actually just write. And then it ends. Oh, up. that's so good. Anyway, just experiment. I don't know. It's working for me. <laughs> like having like yeah. two different documents, but still anyway. Okay. Well, it was really great getting to know you. I'd love to meet you in person someday. And thank you for sharing Olive and everything and your fantastic podcast, Control All Delete. And yeah, stay in touch. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to as well. And this has been really fun and really exciting that Olive is out in the US. It's something I never thought would happen for a debut novel. So I'm so thrilled. And to be on your podcast, one of the the biggest ones I follow in America. I'm like, wow. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 